this morning's what I hope to be more of a teaching than preaching. I hope we can learn from the book of Ruth this morning some very, very important lessons as we look to uh, what redemption really is. We'll start this week and we'll be talking about it for the next several weeks. So with that being said, would you bow your heads with me to pray this morning? Father, we come to you this morning imperfect. We come to you this morning broken. We come to you this morning, Father, some of us are broken hearted. Some of our spirits have been broken. Some of our, some of our vision has been broken, Father. Some of us just come to you broken. And Father, all of us come to you broken in the sense that we are imperfect, that we have failed you, that we are sinners, Father. And in order for us to do anything for you and for the kingdom, we must first realize that. We must correct it, Father, and we must live for you. So as we come to you this morning, Father, an imperfect people, me as an imperfect person, they can label me a pastor, a preacher, whatever they want to call me, Father, I'm still imperfect. And I pray that you forgive me of my sin, forgive me where I fail you, Father, so that we can all learn this morning through your word. Use me, Father, to speak clearly of who you are. Use me this morning to point clearly to your Son, Christ Jesus, and what he's done for us. Not just today as we look at that, but next week through Brian, and the week after that through Walter, and the week after that as we close out this series of sermons, Father. And we look forward to spending the day with you on Resurrection Sunday. Father, I pray that you use these next four weeks to strengthen us in our walk with you as we look at our lives from being a sinner to being saved to having true salvation to being redeemed and being justified in your presence. And as you teach us, Father, we're going to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Chapter 1 of the book of Ruth. And, uh, of course, we've titled the whole thing every week, the book of Ruth, The Coming Redeemer. So that's really all the, the title that I have for you this morning. I haven't titled this anything different. Um, we're going to, as I said in my prayer and as I said earlier, we're going to look at redemption all the way up into its completeness. And we're going to look at that through the book of Ruth. I don't know how familiar you are with the book of Ruth. I'm sure some of you have done in-depth studies on the book of Ruth. And it's, it is what most people call a love story. And that is true. We, we uh, may be better off doing this in the month of February with uh, Valentine's Day. And sometimes people do that. They'll, they'll go to the book of Ruth on Valentine's Day. But this is not just a love between a man and a woman. This is a picture of love between Christ and and his church. And I pray that over the next four weeks, myself and Brian and Walter will be able to, to, to allow you to see this very clearly. From the book of Ruth, chapter 1. I'm sure everybody's found it by now, right? I'm going to ask you this morning. I know we stand every week. I'm asking you to just remain seated because I'm going to read the entire chapter. If you feel like standing, you may, but I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's a little bit lengthy, so let's get right to it. It says... 
that it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of their two sons were Maalon and Shilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Mahalon and Shilion also died, and the woman was, uh, was bereft of her two children and her husband. Verse 6 says, She arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters, why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I have said, if I have said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me, uh, uh, for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Verse 14 says that they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts me from you. When she saw that she, had, she was determined to go with her, uh, she said to her, uh, she said no more to her. So then they both went until they came to Bethlehem, and they had come to Bethlehem. All the city was stirred because of them, and the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth, uh, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And may God add his blessings to the reading of his word. You can be seated. Now, what I want to, as I, as I said earlier, what I want to point out here is really what a person goes through in their walk from birth all the way through life. Because there's some decisions that are made in a person's life that are very uh, detrimental to their destiny, to, to their final destination, if you will. And one of those things is whether or not 
to reject Christ or to live for Christ. It is the most important decision that anyone will ever make. A lot of people have told me, you know, when I was growing up, Troy, the most important decision you will ever make in your life is a house to buy, and I disagree with that greatly. The most important decision that anyone in this world can make is the choice whether or not to follow Jesus or to reject Jesus. Because it doesn't affect you for the next 30 years like you would be affected by a house that you live in. And I would agree that it's a very important decision, but no, uh, no decision is more important than your entire eternity. You're not talking about a house that you'd live in for the next 10 or 12 years before you upgrade or downgrade when you, when you retire. You're talking about an eternity with Jesus Christ or an eternity without Jesus Christ. And I want to start that walk this morning that we're going to take over the next four weeks, and I want to look at this as what happens to us before we become saved. There's a certain amount of things that happen, and there's a certain amount of things that take part in the decisions that we make. And the first one is this, when, when, we are, when we're born and we start to, to walk through life and we go to school and we're influenced by different things and we're influenced by church, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to have a family that, that uh, your, your parents brought you up in the church and you know the truth and you know what is wrong, like I was very fortunate to have my, my mother and father bring me up in the church, so I, I was faced with the decision sooner or later in life whether or not I was going to walk for Jesus and live for Jesus or whether or not I was going to reject the message that had been taught me. I chose of course, to follow Jesus. I chose to surrender my life to Christ. I chose to make certain sacrifices in my life for Christ. But I will tell you this, there was a time in my life when I was young that I had a certain amount of unbelief. And that's the first thing that I'm going to look at, is there was a certain amount of unbelief in my mind. I didn't know if the things that were being taught to me in the church were correct. I didn't know if they were right. I didn't know if maybe my Sunday school teacher would just completely lost her mind. I didn't know if the pastor was up there and, and talking loud and pacing back and forth, like unlike I do. And, and I didn't know if all these things were true. There was a certain amount of unbelief in my life. Why? Because I had not yet been saved. I was still testing these waters. I was still learning. I was still taking it all in. And the one thing that drew me closer and closer to Christ was the faith that I would start to have in Him as I would start to see God work in other people's lives. And I would start to store that information. And, and you're, you're sitting here going, boy, you did all this before you came, became saved? So did you. You might not realize it, but you began to, to look at all the times God worked in other people's lives. And then you began to see Him at work in your life, even though you weren't a child of God. And you saw how sometimes you were protected from evils and dangers that you didn't know at the time were evil and dangerous to you. But you could see them later on in life. You could see these things. And all that builds up is it builds up your faith in order to come into a relationship with Christ. So there was a time in my life, as yours, that there was a certain amount of unbelief as to whether or not God was really real. There was a certain amount of unbelief that Jesus really was born of a Virgin Mary. And that's what I want to focus in on first, is that unbelief. The unbelief. And as I said, that there are a certain amount of things that play a part in our unbelief. One of them is that we all go through rough times, whether you're a small child or you're a grown adult. If, you've, if you were a grown adult before you came to know Christ as your Savior, you saw a certain amount of bad times in your life, didn't you? 
You saw a certain amount of struggles. Even as a Christian, you saw a certain amount of struggles. Even as a Christian, you could choose to, to escape that problem and run from it, or you could embrace that problem and get through it together with God or your church family or your family members or whatever you see fit. There was a choice that had to be made because sometimes bad times and bad struggles play a part. Judges chapter 17 verse 6 says this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. He's talking about this very era of time. As we see in verse 1 that we've read, it says that it came about in the times that the judges governed. This was before the time when, when Israel had their first king in King Saul. They were still being governed by the judges, by Samuel and Deborah and, and, and Gideon and all the people, all the great men and women that governed the nation of Israel as judges. And it, and it said that it, towards the end of this time, that what happened was, was that men, as I read in, in Judges chapter 17, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Not the eyes of God, but in their own eyes. <clears throat> so we all go through troubling times, but we can't take it out on God. Because troubled times are coming. Troubled times are coming. Even the book of James tells us that. You know what else plays a, a, a certain amount of uh, a role in our unbelief before we come to know Christ? Is the bad place that we're in. Now it's interesting to note here that it says, that it says in the first couple of, of verses that they were in uh, Bethlehem and, and they were in what? A famine. Now, it's interesting to note that the word Bethlehem means what? Come on, scholars, it means house of bread. Don't you think that it's pretty ironic that the house of bread would be in a famine? Now, famines were oftentimes a judgment from God on the land or the people because of their disobedience, and famine oftentimes was a judgment from God, most of the time, actually. So God, for some reason, was punishing them, and it probably goes right back to what Judges says, that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. So the house of bread, Bethlehem, was receiving some sort of punishment. And it causes the good people of that city to suffer along with the bad people that were causing all the problems. So sometimes you might suffer and you might go through struggles even before you were saved, that you may not have caused, but yet you had to go along with them. You just have to look as far as your own family at times when your parents might have been struggling with something. You as children struggled with them, didn't you? You looked upon it. I know I've not given a whole lot of information about myself and my upbringing, but when, when I was younger, and it wasn't something that my parents did, it was just the times that we lived in, that my parents, it was hard to make it on one income, and my father was doing the best he could, and he had just retired from, from uh, a military service after almost 22 years. And he had a good pension, but he started a job making pennies on the dollar. So what happened was the rest of the family went to work. And I know I don't, I don't talk much about this, but I started working. And I know you all are thinking, oh yeah, he's, he worked on a farm, walked up, and hill, walked up the hill uh, to school both ways uphill. It's not what it was about. But I started working when I was eight years old because of issues that I didn't cause. And it was a struggle. 
At eight years old, I would get up at 3.15 in the morning and deliver newspapers until the time to go to school. And I would get up and go to school. I did this with my mother. She was in the front seat. I was in the back seat. I was rolling those papers up. Man, she was tossing them out the windows. I would not change that time for anything. For 13 years until I was 21 years old, me and my mom spent some very valuable time together. And I'm very grateful for it. But at eight years old, I was doing something that I didn't cause all through school, all through high school, through my football career in high school, through all of the things that I went through. And then when I was a sophomore in high school, my mother was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. And, and then I began to deliver these newspapers on my own while she was through surgery and recovering. My father had to be at work by 5 a.m. He couldn't deliver newspapers. I was old enough to drive at 16. I started doing these things myself. It wasn't anything that I caused, but the hardship allowed me to go through it with them. So sometimes the good people get drawn in by what the bad people are doing. And then those good people oftentimes will blame God for it. Sometimes those, those times and those places that, that, we, that we're in can lead to bad decisions. And I hope you're following me on this. Sometimes we're just in a bad situation in our life and we didn't even cause it. But it'll lead to bad decisions. You see, Elimelech was not willing to endure the hardship. What was the hardship? It was a famine in the land, in Bethlehem. What does it tell us that he did in the first verse? He took his family and he moved somewhere where there was food. Now, you're saying, well, what's wrong with that? Pastor, he was taking care of his family. He's passionate about his family. And any one of us would have probably done the same thing. The only problem was it was out of God's will. You say, well, how do you come to that? The man's trying to take care of his family. The Moabites were direct enemies of the Jews. They were forbidden to intermingle with the Moabites, the enemies, or to even marry into their and, and have mixed marriages. It had nothing to do with race. You know, God never said that interracial marriages were wrong. What God says was that he did not want his godly people to intermarry with evil people. It had nothing to do with the color of their skin. Nothing to do with it. People say, well, blacks and whites get married because the Bible said so. That's a lie straight from hell. That's why God tells us that we're not to be unevenly yoked in our marriages. Because it causes issues, it causes problems. God did not want the righteous intermingling and marrying with the unrighteous because it would cause the righteous to be led astray. And that's exactly what happened, which is where we see at the time. You see, it was a direct, it was direct disobedience from God because he moved to the land. It was just 50 miles away, or a little more, and he moved to this land of the enemy to support them. Why? Not because God wanted him to. Not because he was taking care of his family. You see, God wanted Elimelech to stay with his people, to allow his sons to marry within his people. That's what God told him. That was the law all along. So instead of that, Elimelech moves his family because it was the easy thing to do. Now sometimes in our own walk with Christ... We go after the easy thing just because it's easy. And we, diso we disobey God in our obedience. We, we say, well, God, this is where you want me. This is what you want me to do, but I'm frustrated with this. I don't understand this. I don't like this. 
So I'm going to run from this problem and to go what's easy. That's why people uh, jump churches a lot. Church gets tough, I'm going to go over here to this one. That church gets tough, I'm going to go back to this one. You know, sooner or later, they're going to make full circle and they're going to come back around to your church, and I've seen it. I am old enough to have seen that now. I thought when I was younger, oh, you're crazy. And then I saw people go through four or five churches and end up right back where they started, and they still weren't happy with anything. I heard an old evangelist tell a lady one time, or so he claims, he says, you know what you don't like? And she said, what? And he goes, nothing. You ain't going to like heaven when you get there. That's what causes us to jump from church to church because, God, this is what you want me to do, but it's too hard. I need to go where it's easy, and that's what Elimelech did. That's what we do in our unbelief. We go to what's easy, not what God is telling us to do. Let me move on. Elimelech, much like us, walked by sight and not by faith. Is what he did. There's food over there. There's no food here, so I'm going to go over there. Romans 1.17 says... For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. It doesn't say that the righteous man shall live by comfort. It doesn't say that the the righteous man will live according to what's easiest for him. It says he will live by faith, even if we're uncertain of what God is doing at the time. If we feel in our heart that this is where God has us, then we have to stay there. And we can't abandon his vision for us. So Elimelech, much like us, walked by, by sight, not by faith. You see, Elimelech escaped his problems. He didn't embrace his problems and say, God, what are you doing through these struggles? What are you doing for me? What is it that you want from me? God, tell me. Instead, he decided to escape them. And the enemy is not God. We want to... We want what is easy and fun with the least amount of effort on our part. That's what we want. As human beings, that's what we want. Listen, I'm not sitting up here and shaking my finger at you because I'm the same way sometimes. And I'll catch myself doing what's easy, not always what's necessary. We do that in our jobs. We'll do it in our home life. We'll cut little corners. Well, if it's not right, then don't do it. And I'm just as guilty. But as an unbeliever, this is where we are. We don't cling to God. And sometimes as believers, we don't cling to God. We go after what's easy. Isaiah 5.21 says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. You know what that's saying? If you put it into to words in 2018, listen to what it says again. Those who are, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. If we were to put that in 2018 lingo, it would be, he's a legend in his own mind. I know it sounds funny, but that's what this verse is saying. He's a legend to himself only, but to nobody else. Because he's caught up, or she's caught up in their own wisdom and their own knowledge. Elimelech, much like us, focused on the physical and not the spiritual. He focused on his own personal needs, the food. It's too hard to go out and find it every day. It's too hard to listen to what God wants me to do every day. I need answers. I want to know that I'm going to have food tomorrow. And God never told us that we wouldn't. God never told us that our needs would not be met. Never told us that. So he went after what was easy as every man does. 
Every man wants to provide the best for his family, but sometimes it means living by faith. Because in the long run, things will be better. They might be struggling times right now, but if we obey God and keep on track with what God has called us to do, then things will be better. And I've got one, I've got a piece of news for you. I'm, t- I'm talking to you as an individual, talking to you about your own Christian walk. But what I'm also telling you is that as a whole, as a congregation, if we as a congregation will do what God has called us to do and quit all the bickering, then we'll go places and in the long run it will be better. We just can't escape the problems. We have to embrace them and let it make us stronger. This is what Elimelech was not willing to do. Elimelech also, when you end up supporting the enemy as he moved with them and not God, you'll end up supporting them and not honoring God. He went to the land of the enemy. He abandoned God's people. He abandoned God's land. He abandoned God's will, all for his own personal comfort. This is not what real men do. Listen to this quote. He abandoned God's people. He abandoned God's land and God's will with his own personal comfort. This is not what real men do. Real men follow God's calling and not their own comfort. That's a quote by some man who's imperfect, some man that is not smart enough to figure out what God's up to. This comes from a man that tries to humble himself every day, and his name is Troy. And he brought, listen, Abimelech also brought others down with him. Because not only did he move there and teach them that, that, that negative uh, way of living, but his sons, what did they do? They took wives of the enemy. They weren't supposed to do that. So he was, his, his own personal gain was destroying his family. Now, when we do this, we'll suffer the consequences. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? I know it's 12 o'clock. I know we're ready to get out of here, but God's got something to say. Listen to me. His sons ended up marrying these women. Now, Elimelech went to this land because it was the easiest and most comfortable thing to do in the time. Now, they went there to sojourn. Does anyone know what that word means? It means for a short time. It means it was temporary. But what does God's word tell us? How long were they there? Come on. Y'all listen to the story? Ten years. That is not temporary. If you live to be a thousand, ten years might be temporary. But we're not Methuselah. We don't live to be 969. You see, what he did was what was meant to be for a short time. A short time. He wanted things to be better in the time. And you know what? It was. But when we look to making things right for long term and doing what's right for God and a little bit of suffering will get us long term, he ended up dying anyway. He went to escape the famine. Why? To escape death. And he still ended up dying. His two sons went with him to escape death and they still ended up dying. So the long term benefits didn't pay off. Now let me move to the second point, and I only have two. Sometimes, not only in our unbelief, but as people, we hide our mistakes. It's what we do. We try to hide them. We try to cover them up. 
We try to deceive ourselves and others. We try to deceive God. So I want to look briefly at three stories here. Three stories. The first one is Naomi's story. After ten years, she finally decided to go home. She finally decided that she's going to go back, and we're going to look at her, her story. And we see that, and we see why in verse 6. Now, now watch me closely. Look what it says in verse 6. She arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, but she had heard what? In the land of Moab that the Lord had done what? Come on, I want to make sure you all are paying attention. God provided food. It means the famine was over. And what did Naomi do? It's time to go back and start serving God. Because now it's comfortable for me. If we wait for the ministry, if we wait to do what God wants us to do until we're comfortable, I assure you, you will never, ever do it. If you wait to get comfortable, it's like people used to tell me, and Walter and Kelly, I'm sure you've heard it so many times, Brian and his wife have heard it so many times as a young couple, if you wait to have another baby till you can afford it, you're never going to have one. Isn't that what they tell you? You'll never have one if you wait until you can afford it. Thank God for oopses, right? Because those children just bless us. Naomi went back. Now it's time to serve God. Now I can serve God because I have food. I don't want to endure the hardships. I want to escape them instead of embrace them. So, so here we go. Let me, let me look at the rest of it. Let me move on. After 10 years, she decided to go home because she heard, and I put that in parentheses in my notes, she heard that there was food in Israel. She wasn't even wasn't even confirmed. She just heard. You know, Pastor, I heard a rumor that the church roof was going to fall in because we've still got a leak. And it still stands. Now, one day I agree, if we don't fix it, it's going to fall in. But my point is, is that we just heard, and then we go off the deep end because we just heard. It had not been substantiated. She had no proof that the famine was over. It was just rumor. Now you have to remember that they didn't have email during that day. They didn't have telephone during that day. They didn't even have telegraph. In fact, the Pony Express had not even come along yet. So to get information 50 miles away, there was no way they could carry the information after a few days to 50 miles away, but they could not bring proof that the famine was over. Anybody could bake a, a, a loaf of bread and take to them and say, hey, this came from Bethlehem, when it rarely came around the, the store, around the corner from the bakery store. Nobody could prove that, but she heard, so she goes there, not even knowing if it was true. Not even knowing if it was true. Well, you're kind of picking on Naomi here. Well, yes, because she was doing the wrong thing. She was still interested. Notice that she never repented. It doesn't say anything in here where she repented. It doesn't say anywhere where she prayed and asked for forgiveness from God. She's just decided that if there's food, I'm going to go back now and I can serve God because I'm comfortable now. And that's where she should have been all along. That's where her husband should have been all along. That's where her sons should have been all along. And yet they denied it. 
She was still interested in feeding the physical, the food, not in pleasing God. She never once repented. She never once asked for forgiveness. And that's what we do a lot of the times. And before we become saved, we don't even know this stuff exists. She did not want her two daughter-in-laws to go with her. You know why? Because she was ashamed. If I take these two daughters-in-laws back with me, and people ask me, who are they? And I introduce them as my daughters-in-law of my dead sons, then, she's, then all the town is going to start talking because she took her sons and intermingled with an ungodly people. Could you imagine the talk in Bethlehem that day? You talk about white picket fences. She was ashamed. That's why she didn't want them to go back with her. She would have been found out. I've been keeping this a secret for ten years. I don't want anybody to find out what I've been up to, and how I've been disregarding and disrespecting God. She just wanted the shame to go away. And she wanted to lead others astray. And I can prove it to you. She told both of them, go back and serve your God. Now these were false gods that they were serving. These false gods demanded that Sacrifices, human sacrifices in some cases be made. Torture to come about. These were false gods. They weren't real. Naomi was saying, go back and worship those gods. Now as a true Jewish woman, woman, why would she ask someone to go back and worship a false god? So in her own, in her own search for comfort... In her own search for hiding the shame, she wants two people to go out and start sinning against God. Second story is this, the story of Orpah. The story of Orpah is a little bit simpler, a little bit shorter. Orpah bought Naomi's human reasoning. She bought it. She said, listen, it's better for you to go back with your family. My sons, if I have sons now, you're going to wait 20 years? You'll be an old woman by then before they can marry you because according to the law that if the brother died, the, the other brother was to take that woman in marriage to take care of her. That's how God set it up. So she's saying, you're going to wait for 20, 25 years until my sons are grown? I don't even have a husband. I, I'm not even thinking about getting pregnant. I'm probably too old to get pregnant. Are you really going to wait around because you'll be an old man by the time these guys are 20 years old? So she used human reasoning with them to go back and, and serve other gods. Orpah bought it hook, line, and sinker. Now, now here's where it gets good. I know it's almost 10 after, but here's where it gets good. You want to talk about redemption. You want to talk about salvation. I want you to look at this. Orpah was this close to being redeemed in this story. She was this close to going and learning about God through Naomi and the Jews of Bethlehem. She was this close to salvation. She was this close to salvation. Because the Bible says that she went and hugged Naomi. She kissed Naomi. She wept with Naomi. She loved Naomi. She loved Naomi. Much like we profess to love Christ. And what did Naomi do when she embraced her, kissed her, hugged her, loved her? She turned around and walked from it. 
She turned around and rejected Christ. She rejected redemption. She rejected salvation. She walked away because of human reasoning. She bought into it, much like we do before we're a Christian, and much like we do when we are Christians. Let me move on. Because there's one more story, and it's the story of Ruth. You see, Orpah did not want to endure what lied ahead. She's going to have to get used to a new home, a new people, a new God, a new way of doing things, a new culture, a new city, finding her way around. It was going to be too hard. Just because my mother-in-law or my ex-mother-in-law wants food, this is going to be too hard. I don't want to go learn about another God. So she rejects it and she walks away. Ruth, on the other hand, embraces the struggle. She embraces what God has her embrace. Orpah decided to walk away from it. Ruth decides to embrace it. She tells her, I won't leave you, Naomi. I'm not going to leave you. And in so many words, she was saying, I don't want to hear any more on the matter. I'm staying. I'm going with you. I want your God to be my God. I want your people to be my people. When I die, I want to be buried next to you. She embraced the redemption. She embraced the long-term effect. She didn't do what was comfortable in the moment. Now, Ruth would have had to do the same things that Orpah did. She would have had to learn a new town, learn a new culture, learn new recipes. That's always a good thing for us guys. She had to learn everything all over. But see, when Orpah rejected the gods of Israel, Ruth embraced them. Now, now, let me look back at my notes. Ruth embraced these things of God. She embraced them. She decided to stay with Naomi. Ruth decided to ignore Naomi's pleas of human reasoning. Instead, she came to trust God. That's what she did. Naomi didn't learn, or, or Orpah didn't learn a thing. Through all this time, Ruth was listening and she was learning. And we have two women here, one rejecting God and the other one embracing redemption. And no matter the cost, she said, Ruth, I'm going back with you. Now, I know a lot of this is still a little hazy and you're going, I'm, I'm still not putting the pieces together. I promise you over the next couple of weeks that it will all fall into place. But we have a story between two women, one that rejected Christ and one who left father and mother and sister and brother to follow God. She, Ruth, Naomi said, go back to your family. Go back to your mother, to your father. They'll provide you a home. They'll give you a hot meal until you meet some other nice young man and marry him. She denied her father. She denied her mother because she knew that there was a God in Israel that was going to make it right. Long term. Musicians, you can come. Musicians, don't come. Stay where you are. I don't think we need a song today. I'm not being critical. I'm, that's, please don't take it. Listen, 
we need to decide. Are we going to embrace the things of Christ? Are we going to walk away from them? As an individual, what are you going to do? As a congregation, what are you going to do? As a mother, what are you going to do? As a father, what are you going to do? As a grandmother, a grandfather, an aunt, an uncle, what are you going to do? You're going to go for what's easy and comfortable? Or are you going to go after what God does regardless, regardless of any struggles that might come along with it? And I'm not saying that every time God calls that there's struggles. That's not it. That just happens to be the case in this story that we've read. But long term, I promise you, there's no more problems. And we need to learn to embrace those struggles that God has us go through and walk towards Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this book, Father. I thank you for the the amount of knowledge that's here in this very short book, Father. It, it talks of a love story between two people. More importantly, it talks of a love story between Christ and your church. It talks of a love story of redemption. And as we see over the next few weeks, Father, as we learn over the next few weeks that this entire book that was written, that was penned, all of it points straight to your son Christ as does every other book in your word. It all points to Christ. May we see that. May we embrace that and turn to you no matter the cost. If there's someone here today, Father, that doesn't understand that, if there's someone here today that is not fully grasping that, even as a Christian, I pray that you'll allow this sermon this message that you brought to play on their minds. If it's conviction that you bring, then so be it. If they get offended, Father, so be it. But I pray, Father, that they will look and pray to you first and say, Father, I'm offended at what that man said. But Father, if, if you tell them calmly what is going on, and if I've offended anyone, have them come back as long as you tell them that it's okay. But Father... If it's because of their own offenses toward you and their own disobedience, then I pray you and that person will correct it. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. I know it's 1215.